There we go. Well, we assume that we're live. We're hoping we're alive. We're certainly not dead. Welcome to Scale Up Heroes. Uh, this is our maiden voyage, our first episode. This is where we bring the best minds with the best real life experiences when it comes to scaling up businesses. These are the people that are the heroes who took on the difficult odds and live to tell the tale. I'm your host, Randy Cantrell. And to all of our viewers, we want to offer you a free 30-day trial membership at the Scale Up Academy. You can just go to scaleupacademy.io and sign up today. Let me uh, introduce our, our panelists today. We have Barbara Diaz. She is the Senior Talent Acquisition at TalkDesk. We have Francesca DeMatos, who is the VP of People at Uniplaces. And moderating the discussion today is going to be Katerina Varnkova, who is the HR manager at Aptoid. And with that, I'm going to back out, Katerina, and let you take over. Thank you for the intro, Randy. And Francisca, Barbara, it's a great pleasure to be able to ask you the most hot questions that are in the HR uh, industry nowadays. And let's maybe start with uh, the job market. Well, I'm probably not surprising you that nowadays job market, especially in the IT area, is an extremely candidate-driven one. Well, for the talents, it's great. Now they can find better jobs. Now they can be more selective in choosing the right jobs for them. But um, in your perspective and uh, from perspective from your company, what does it mean? What does it imply on hiring process? Uh, Francisca, would you like to be first one? Yeah, of course. Um, I, think, I think you touched a very um, excellent point. Uh, and I think for us, it's a very different game if we are uh, trying to attract talent in the tech space. So I would say product, uh, product designers, researchers, data scientists, engineers, etc. Um, I would say that you're absolutely right. It's a very, very candidate-driven market. Um, for us here at Uniplaces, it's also a case of, of trying to attract talent um, that is not, not currently in Lisbon. So it, it adds a, a kind of a layer of difficulty, which is to attract people to move to Lisbon. And it's, it kind of, um, it's, it's also very different than every other professional. Um, so when we're trying to attract sales professionals, when we are trying to attract marketing, etc., mostly we, we reach out to candidates who are currently already in Portugal. Um, and it, it's, a, it's a more on a reactive base, I would say. So we open a position, we work on it um, specifically. For candidates in the tech space, it's much more an ongoing uh, process. So we have to speak to candidates. Sometimes we speak to candidates for six months or a year until we get them um, to come over. Um, and it also depends on the level of seniority, I would say. Okay, and uh, for those uh, a bit spoiled candidates in, uh, <laughs> well, well, um, for those candidates that are more sought out in the um, job market, what do you think uh, your company, uh, your company attr attracts them the most? How do yeah. you capture this uh, top-notch talent? Yeah, uh, I would start by saying that it's not easy. <laughs> and any company that says that it's very kind of, it's, a, it's an easy job, it's not. Um, but I would say that the first thing is, so a lot of our candidates are looking for uh, remote or flexible type working. Um, so it's something that we are introducing this year. Um, and we noticed that this is a huge trend. Like two years ago, it wasn't really 
something that people asked like upfront in the first interview, it now is. So we are going to adapt our, our um, especially in our tech team, um, to be able to offer this type of work. Um, I would then say that it's a mixture of interesting technologies to be able to work with. Um, having impact in a team that is still quite small for us. We're only, uh, you know, a 40 person uh, tech team um, and having the opportunity to work with excellent professionals. So actually in tech type interviews, we train up the managers or sometimes they don't need training up, but they are our sellers. So they are the ones who speak to our candidates and try and convince them on the first, on the first try. Um, whereas in other types of positions, it's we, the, the people team uh, play a much greater role role, I would say. And then I think the third thing is we need to keep up uh, with market in terms of salary. Uh, so it's, it's been a, a big, a big steep uphill battle <laughs> so far. And I think especially for companies who are still on the scale up phase and potentially uh, not profitable yet. Uh, but we have huge companies who have established themselves in tech hubs who are not scaling up or they are scaling up, but to a scale where they can afford to pay people a lot. So it's almost the same type of effort to retain the people that we have as it is to recruit um, new talent. Okay, but maybe we can uh, speak about retention a bit, a bit later. Yeah. I would like to hear also Barbara's opinion. TalkDesk is one of the employees, employers of reference in Portugal market. And what would like to see uh, and to hear what tips do you have and maybe uh, advise other companies. How do you capture the best growth in such competitive environment? Yeah, first of all, I can totally relate with what Francisca mentioned before. Um, we are a very similar company in terms of main goals and culture, I believe. So I can totally relate with that. And I'm very glad that you brought that, that the, this topic to this discussion because this is a, a real thing. Everybody's talking about this. It happened in the past. It's not a new thing. It's a cycle thing, uh, and it's, it's true that power has shifted from the employee to, to job seekers. So for Softdesk, I would say that this is a huge uh, opportunity to improve our hiring process. We are trying not to go crazy with this uh, and avoid doing any um, short, shortcut uh, changes, um, because the most important thing for us is to align this process with our company culture. We are still a very young company with six years. So our culture is growing and defining uh, day after day. And what we aim for with this, with, this, um, with this process is to align the overall strategy. So this brings us, at least from our, our, um, our perspective, that this candidate-driven market thing is it's quite a positive thing because uh, it got everybody at the same page. Companies are start worrying about their employee brand, uh, this is a thing that would not be happening a couple of years ago. They are building an effective uh, hiring process and they are highly focused on creating amazing candidate experience. So this is a good thing for us. Uh, even though we have that kind of, uh, of challenges, challenges that sometimes we, we have to deal with more demanding candidates like you were mentioning before. Um, so in terms of some quick tips, on the, on the how we can improve the hiring process, the first thing that we um, try to do is to act fast. So we need to act fast, to hire fast. We need to avoid that long interview hiring processes. We need to have the more diverse uh, hiring processes as well. So uh, there's a few things that we have in mind when we think about 
the multiple opportunities that we have in hand right now. Um, and the first one, for example, is to exclude all the needless stages. So we avoid those handless individual uh, interviews where the candidate has to repeat themselves over and over again. This is a reality in a lot of companies. We are trying to avoid this. We are not 100% there where we are doing these pets. I think it happens with, with everybody. Um, we are adding some diversity to the process as well. Not only interviews doing, for example, instead of doing three interviews, we do a panel interview. We are betting more on off-site uh, off activities and then bring the candidate on site and, and give him an amazing experience. We are using um, practical cases such as product demos and um, role plays and things like this to, to improve the recruitment process. So uh, we really need to act fast and this is the way we, we establish the process as well. Another important, important thing for us, and I think it's important for everybody, it's, to, it's feedback. We need to collect feedback and to give feedback. We need to be fast on collecting feedback after a long hiring process. Um, we need to uh, gather everyone in a room and ask them to share their feedback with the hiring manager and then ask the hiring manager to, get to, to, to make to a decision. Um, after all, we are the gatekeepers of that candidate and if we, we, we truly believe as a recruiter that, we are, that that candidate is the perfect fit for, for the company, uh, we need to defend him and by going fast as well. Um, and also the feedback comes to another important thing that, well, giving feedback to every candidate was mandatory five years ago. Now it's more than that. Uh, besides giving feedback, we need to, they are asking and they are waiting for an individual feedback. So we need to do um, a strong work here to be able to, for example, if heavy recruiter does three or four interviews per day. By the end of the week, we're going to be a lot of interviews, a lot of candidates to give an individual uh, feedback. And sometimes what we are doing is we are giving feedback in the interview. By the end of the interview, we are sharing our thoughts, our pros and cons, and some red flags that we identified with that, with that candidate. Um, so these are a few things that I think could be helpful for, for scaling in recruitment. Okay. Yes, and what you said is true, and it's totally apply, it totally applies to my experience as well. And another important thing about the uh, staying competitive in this very uh, Red Sea uh, job market is to retain the talents. As Francisco already said, uh, it's not that easy because um, for every candidate there is five job offers or ten LinkedIn messages every day. So how do you make sure, uh, maybe starting with the youth, Barbara, how you make sure the candidate loves working with you and doesn't change the working place for anything else? Well, I think the first thing to do is to attract them and to have them on board to talk with you. As you were mentioning, they are getting, even especially on tech recruitment, they are getting like 10 to 20 messages every day on LinkedIn. So. Probably LinkedIn is not the best um, place to, and platform to, to start approaching these, these talents. So one thing that I, that, I, um, that I see that is changing a lot, um, a few years ago when I started working in recruitment, I was in a consultancy job. So the way my performance was measured was the best recruiter is the one that has the long mapping list. So you, you need to target 
all the candidates in the market and this was the best way to, to fill a job. Mm. Things have changed. You don't need to, to build um, long, long lists and mapping lists. Um, you need to, to, to be able to do a good sourcing uh, and identify for each role what, or what are the 20 top talents in your market that you want to, to find out, that you want to, to bring on. So, and, and then you, you will have to find an alternative to LinkedIn messages. Um, you can send them a direct email, for example, for engineering teams. You can check on Stack, you can check on Stack Overflow or GitHub, for example, um, uh, projects that, that they have been doing and start by mentioning those in, in, your, in your approach. Um, the engineering market in Portugal is not that big, so um, probably you have someone in your company that knows that person or they have studied with them in the same school or the same year, so uh, it's easier if you go through an employer, employer referral. Yeah, employer referral, it's, uh, as you said, is a great source, but in order for a person to refer someone, he should be very engaged with the company. How do you reach that kind of engagement of the current employees? So here we are talking about employer branding, uh, and this is almost an, an, an impossible mission to, to do it because we are growing uh, day by day. And we, first of all, we need to be very sure about our culture in order to sell this idea uh, outside. So we need to be able that our people are happy. We need to set expectations. Uh, and we need to uh, define what kind of, of people do we want to, to bring on board. So at Talkdesk, we are doing this process of defining our, our culture and then to uh, communicate along with this. So uh, before building this brand, we are already in the market, we are already hiring, uh, but before this, we are doing this internal job of gathering everyone and uh, gather some insights on the, what, what, what should be the, the company culture. And of course, you need to have a strong presence on the uh, social media. For example, in, in Europe overall, you have LinkedIn, you have Facebook, you have Twitter. Yeah, you, you need to make sure that you produce some value content so that people can relate with. You have a company blog, you have webinars as well to share some, some information and the insights of the, of, the, of the people of your company. So I would say that things like this would start building uh, a proper brand that people can relate with. Okay. And Francisca, what about you? How do you uh, make sure that people like working in your company and are not tend to leave to another one at the very first LinkedIn message? Yeah, I mean, I agree that, uh, I agree with Barbara. I think selecting, having a strong, solid recruitment process in which you attract and kind of hire the people who are already very connected to your culture and the way that you work. I think every company is not right for everyone. Uh, and so having that kind of, you know, getting the right people in is the first big step. Um, I think once they are in, um, I, I think I feel, and, and I've been working in HR for more than 10 years, that the ideal time that someone stays in a company, especially companies that are growing a lot, um, has, has become much shorter. So I think also thinking about what is the ideal tenure, what is the ideal time that you want someone to stay in the same position. I think this is particularly true for tech positions. Um, and if you hire at a very junior level, 
Um, so, and that's actually the, the technique of, of a lot of, of companies that are growing is you hire, I don't know, like five or six quite senior um, developers or managers, engineering managers, and then you train everyone up. So to have that kind of career path in place, even if it's not a very formal one, just to think that everyone in your team should know where they want to be and how they're going to get there like in a year or two. So even if you have a very small like 10 person team, managers need to be uh, kind of having these conversations so that people see the future uh, within that company. And often for companies that are not profitable yet, companies that uh, sometimes are, feel a bit un insecure in terms of where, where they're going um, next, I think it's very important to have that special connection with the managers. And, and this comes to my second point. Um, especially in smaller teams, but I think at any level, the manager is key, is absolute key. So to have provide, um, you know, kind of very strong, solid training and accompaniment, and, and here is where the people team can, can play a big role, um, is in kind of advising these managers how to deal with uh, often, uh, you know, this generation of, of, of employees um, who want to be a part of something very impactful. They want to have a quick impact. They want to grow quickly. Uh, you know, after two years, everyone wants to be a manager, etc. So to kind of try and manage all of this positive energy and channel it into projects that give people the individual um, kind of opportunity to impact, um, to impact this, this, this um, kind of the day to day. Uh, so we really, really see that um, our average age is around 29 years old. So often people, it's either their first job or even sometimes just their second job. Uh, and so to give, I think, the room and the importance to everyone, everyone in the company, even if they come in as an intern, whether they're the COO should be heard the same and have an opportunity and channels to give new ideas and have that space to to grow. At least that's our, our philosophy here. And we find that that's what actually, uh, you know, keeps people. And then, you know, after two years, three years in the company, if people have outgrown their roles, and particularly this is true for companies that are less than, you know, 150, 200 people, sometimes it comes to a point where actually, you know, the, the next step is, is, um, is to, to grow out of it. And that is also okay. So to be able to prepare people for their next step, be it in your company or outside. And I think one of my, my heroes, if I can say it in terms of HR, Patty McCord, who uh, kind of developed the whole of the Netflix ethos, which is very famous, actually said this, you know, she wanted to grow Netflix into a place where it would be good to be from. Uh, and I think this is something that, that generates a kind of a positive, uh, uh, virtuous circle that, it, that is in itself, um, is not a lot of work from, from you know, kind of, you know, I don't know, brainstorming values or uh, kind of imposing engagement activities. Uh, so it needs to be something that is organic and it's through hiring and developing the right, the right people, I would say. And this is, of course, I'm, I'm sounding like <laughs> this is like dreamland and <laughs> everything is perfect like this. It's very, very hard. But, uh, but in, at least at unit places, it's, it's, we try to do it in, a, in an organic way, not a forced kind of coming from HR type of, of manner. Right. As uh, my teammates that work in the engineering department say, culture is not uh, something from above. Culture is not how we spend our weekends. Culture is how we work, communicate with each other day to day. That's important. It can be something um, from, uh, given from the HR department department and uh, I agree with you um, and uh, speaking more about this uh, global competitive market 
um, and uh, you already mentioned Francisca hiring from outside of the Portugal. Is that something uh, you consider nowadays? Uh, do you have a lot of foreign workers? And uh, what for you is the best and worst thing about hiring internationally? Um, for us, it's not really a choice. It's kind of a day-to-day -day thing. I would say that probably half of our uh, staff don't speak Portuguese. So our current language is English. A lot of people moved here to work with us or, or had previously been here. Um, we also, and I think the more we kind of try and build startups that are going to face the outside, even if they are based in Lisbon, um, the more this will happen. So for us, it's not really a choice. I think the worst part is the bureaucracy, of course, is trying to get visas, is trying to get people on board. Um, I think the best part or the part that is the most cool to do as, as the people team is to support people through this process. Uh, to, sometimes to introduce them to Lisbon, it's to kind of get them to see even when, if they come with their kids, get the schools, get all of this part of their kind of new experiences uh, uh, and do that. We also at Union Places support a huge part of the student population every year in moving uh, uh, abroad. So this is kind of, it, it's very joined up with our, our, our ethos um, and we are very uh, uh, how do I say, focused on the diversity. Uh, a diversity meaning more cultural, uh, not age-wise, of course. <laughs> that is quite obvious, although we are trying uh, uh, to get also age diversity. Uh, but it, for us, it's not really a choice. Um, a lot of the roles that we have don't really exist in Portugal. Or if they do, as, as Barbara mentioned before, you know, this is a very, very small world. So if they do exist in Portugal, we've already spoken to them and they are happy where they are. Um, and so this, I mean, with, with the Web Summit coming to Lisbon um, and from two years ago, it's become much easier. And we are now getting a lot of contacts from people who actually want to move here proactively, who are tired of London and the rain or Berlin and the rain. <laughs> and, uh, and they contact us proactively saying, you know, if you ever have a, a position. And as I mentioned, I think for us, it's very, very important to keep these, it's almost like talent pools. And I think Barbara briefly touched upon it as well. It's almost like you keep in touch with people that you know could be good for your business eventually. Um, and you nurture these talent pools and these, uh, and these uh, uh, how do I say, I don't know, uh, maps of talented people in, in a way that is, that is ongoing and, and, um, and sustainable. Okay, thank you, thank you. Uh, and Barbara, uh, what's your company experience in uh, hiring internationally? Um, so, we, as I think you know, we started six years ago, as I mentioned before, and at the beginning we, the company was only five people, so we really just started scaling like two years ago, so this is everything pretty new for us as well, so we are dealing with these problems on a daily basis, we are learning on them and we are defining new ways of doing it. Basically because like Francisco was mentioning, it's very important to manage the process carefully to, to make sure that this move, this relocation process, it's a positive experience for them. Um, we are actually looking for, we are looking for, the, for some strategies for the international recruitment um, for several reasons, maybe mainly because we are looking for people that know specific markets uh, and like Francisco was mentioning, because sometimes there's roles that we can't find people in, in, in local market or because we have talked with them and they are happy where they are. Um, so, and another thing that we are um, trying to do is to increase the diversity of our teams. 
uh, of our workforce. It's a very positive thing, gives you different mind mindsets, gives you an approach that could be uh, interesting for you to question the way you do things. So we are dealing with this as well. We are facing some problems. Uh, we are trying to do our own work to know the local laws, the working visa things, uh, salary package, so to make sure that this is going to be a positive process. And we are trying as well to create inside of this uh, a healthy, diverse uh, environment and workplace um, that people can celebrate the diversity. They are happy and proud of their culture. So we are doing things like thematic lunches and celebrate the country days and doing game nights with cultural quiz and things like this that can really help people embrace their cultures and make this a, a, a true diverse uh, an international environment. So this is one of our main concerns. We are working on this um, in this year. So I totally relate with what you are mentioning before. Okay, great. And do you see the special role of um, in this environment of us being startups or being from startups? Uh, maybe will be the driving force that will change something and will make the uh, bureaucratic procedures a bit easier or the environment in Lisbon a bit more welcoming to the foreign uh, workers? Well, that's a very interesting question. I don't know the answer for that. <laughs> I hope I had, but uh, I can predict the future. I think we will. Um, events like um, Web Summit and other and related like this plays an important part in this process. Um, they put Lisbon and Portugal in Portugal in, in the map, in the international map for, for the talent pool. So I think we can definitely, as the, the, the major hiring uh, companies, I think we can definitely play, play a part here. Um, I don't know where this is going to. Uh, and this is an, an interesting question. I have never thought about it. Uh, but I think it could be definitely we will make, uh, we will make things improve and change. So... Uh, Francisco, do you want to add something? Yeah, I mean, it's, I, for me, it's already happening. Um, it definitely, I mean, you, you have the non-habitual resident status, meaning that people who move to Lisbon pay like a third of the tax for 10 years. Um, you know, a lot of the people who are currently in government were the people who funded Startup Lisboa, who uh, got Web Summit to come uh, come here. Uh, there are already a lot. And I remember when I moved, when I lived in London, having this conversation with, with my friends and saying, why is Dublin, where is it Dublin and not Lisbon? Uh, uh, not just particularly with the web center, but just with big centers of, of um, skilled jobs coming, coming to the world. And I think it's much easier to attract people to come to sunny Lisbon than rainy Dublin, for sure. And I think we're already seeing that, that revolution. Uh, I mean, our companies or our kind of platform online-based companies are, are the future. I've been recently at many events where um, the team, the theme is also digitalizing uh, even like corporate big, big companies. Uh, so I, I think it's, it's the direction and that we're setting it. And it's, for me, it's a relief. And a lot of people that I know who had to leave uh, Portugal for a really long time because everything was at a standstill from, from 2008 onwards uh, are now coming back. Uh, and that's also a very, oh, not by the way, yes, a very good source of hiring is looking for Portuguese people <laughs> who have been in London or Berlin or, or the US for a while and want to come back home. But uh, it's already happening. Um, I think in terms of the bureaucratic part of, uh, of the visas or getting that part, that is trickier. Um, so we are dictated by EU. 
So once the UK leaves for us, it will make our job uh, more complicated, um, depending on what the Brexit regulations will be. Uh, but within the EU, it's extremely easy to get people to come. So just the fact that we are a 20-something country uh, uh, market is already very, very easy um, to, to do that. From the US is hard, but it's also not one of our main main sources, but we are definitely at the forefront and this particular government is very pro uh, uh, entrepreneurship, so which is great to see. Okay, thank you. And um, there is one more topic I would like to discuss with you today. Uh, I would say it's my one of my favorite topics in the HR area because um, we work very closely with um, engineering teams and uh, now it's the fashion since I think 2000. Uh, 14 2015 to automate everything and now we have automated tests automated code reviews and um, what about automated HR um, do you think it has future and what things from HR do you automate or would you like to automate me yeah um, yeah I mean for me an ideal company would be a company where HR is almost not needed so if managers are doing their jobs properly, if we are, it's almost like every person should have a little bit of, of HR in them uh, and, and do their jobs. I think in terms of more automation, uh, it would be, I would say that probably all of the, I mean, all of our tools, our systems that we use are becoming more and more and more user-friendly. So now I have all of my payroll, everything on my app, on my phone. Um, and so the reporting part, um, I think more and more, and particularly as these companies grow and scale up data, data regarding your employees, regarding diversity, regarding everything will be of, of even more important than it is currently. So all of the analytics part is, is becoming more uh, automated. Um, I would say that as, as um, Barbara mentioned, the gamification of the recruitment process is really cool. Um, so doing video interviews, uh, recording, you know, uh, live CVs, etc. It's still a bit, I think, uh, a long way away and it doesn't substitute kind of face to face. But I would say that almost two thirds of our recruitment process is done uh, at a distance and only the last stage is done on a face to face part. And that could be, you know, um, you know, it could be automated in, in, in some ways. Um, and then of course, all of the admin paperwork part. We now, before, you know, when I started working in HR, we had these huge filing cabinets <laughs> with lots of paper. Now I have a teeny tiny one and then a huge big hard drive that is in the cloud and that, you know, is protected and, and secured uh, by that. So I think we will move more and more towards um, the digitalizing of everything. Okay, but is everything, if everything is automated, does it mean that HR team has no job? No, I think it means we just move from doing the kind of what we call the admin tasks uh, and into a much more strategic and business planning role, which is something, again, that for startups is one of the main revolutions. Like it doesn't, all of these new companies, it doesn't even people don't even think of HR as like a support function, I would say, or of the people teams. And I think that's why we're also changing names into talent acquisition, people, and not HR or personnel. Um, and it's so that uh, HR professionals are now becoming at the center of every business decision um, and are supporting and, for example, liaising with finance teams, et cetera. So it's, I mean, it's, it's, I think this will just support us and free us from doing the admin-y day-to-day work into uh, much more strategic uh, uh, type roles. Okay, great, great. Barbara, uh, 
Are you um, in Talkdesk trying to automate a lot of things, starting from job applications to policies and procedures? Or uh, do you believe the HR should have more human face and more human interaction? Mm, I think both uh, of, of, of situations. We are actually, um, we are trying to do this. This is one of the major milestones for this year. Um, I personally don't believe that we are going to lose our jobs if we embrace AI in HR because actually it will help us to do our jobs better to increase productivity and level up the overall quality. So um, at least this is my hope. <laughs> um, what we are trying to do now, we are trying to, to, to imply some automation technologies to recruitment, onboarding and employee changing process. So the more admin and manual tasks and Leave the um, leave the HR personnel to to other texts that are that are more people related to. So um, we are trying to limit the, the the interaction for key situations, situations that are very important for our people, and to make sure that all the or the major part of the admin tasks are we are trying to automate them and to to give to give us more time to do other things and to think in the process and to improve overall overall processes so and actually there's another important part of the process is because when you, we automate some manual processes we are making our teams an active part of the of the process as well because they will be responsible for um, for example um, if they want to change anything they will do they will be the responsible for it and and on the other hand it will, it will help us to create a lot of new analytics that we don't don't have access right now in order to improve and, and create a true, a true impact. So um, we are trying to decrease, as I was mentioning, the, the impact of manual tasks, but it's still a long run. Um, and we still need to remember that companies are made with people and for people and we cannot automate everything. We, we need to be here. We need to have a face for, for our, our coworkers. So this is one of our main concerns as well. And uh, do you agree with Francisca? Uh, she said, when uh, managers are doing their job great, HR is less needed. They are, they are a, an important part in all of our processes, such as recruitment, performance appraisal, development processes as careers, training. They are, they are true partners. Uh, and if they are doing their job, yeah, I agree with Francisca, they will be very, very helpful because they have true insights uh, on the company and on the teams, and we can use this to, to improve the processes overall. So, um, and it helps to, to uh, decrease the, sometimes there's a huge gap between the HR department and the teams and the, and the overall teams. And this helps if you have one gatekeeper, one key contact, and it would be the manager or, or someone senior at the team, it will help to, to, to decrease this gap. That's right. And uh, do you encounter uh, lots of problems where trying to automate the processes? Uh, yeah, yeah, of course we do. So, um, because as we start, as we are growing, there's a lot, a lot of things that we were doing on the wrong way and we are, we are facing these problems and we are trying to, to make sure that everything we have, uh, we have a, a huge backlog of, of information and more admin uh, uh, things. And we are trying to deal with this at the same time as we are improving for the future. So 
Uh, we need to be on both sides and always aware that everything that we change, every change that we, that we do, that has, a, has a, an imply for, for the team. So we are, we are, this is something that's, that is a major concern for us as well. Okay, great. And um, Francisca, did you have uh, problems when uh, automating HR? Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, I think what's great about working in a, in, a, in, a, in a startup environment is that necessity is the mother of invention. So when you don't have a big team and you have to do everything at the same time and you have to keep up with, with, a, with a company that is just demanding a lot from you, particularly in terms of recruitment and also the, all the processes that go along with onboarding a large number of people, you have to automate. And you have to do it smartly with very few resources sometimes. So you rely a lot on, for example, a G Suite. You know, instead of having a fancy engagement survey tool, you just do it yourself. Uh, but it needs to be done, you know, in a way that is then you can treat the data and 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 then you know come out with um, insightful analysis. So I do think for me that's one of the fun parts of of the job is to actually try and 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 work hacks. To, to get the parts of the job that are, that are the most time consuming done. So you can get focus on, on, the, on the right things, on, on coaching your managers, on, on uh, supporting uh, you know, where the business is gonna be in five years, not on the day to day, oh my God, we need to recruit someone now. <laughs> but it's gonna be a mix of both as, as Barbara said. Uh, and it's, it's also very, for me, it's a necessity now to hire people who are proficient with tools, who are not afraid to, to try new things, who will you know, kind of dig on Google how to find the best macro to link on Google Sheets to try and do something that, you know, and, and sometimes you know, good is, is, is okay. You don't have to do it perfectly. You don't have to do it in a scale that, that, you, know, that, that you don't need a huge big system or a rollout or a change management team or anything actually. You just need to keep it simple do it you know, in a correct way that doesn't give you any errors and then roll it out and see and try and improve when you need to. So it's kind of applying an agile type uh, way of working to, to HR and to our tasks, which are of course are not as complex uh, on a technical level, but that you can learn a lot from, from iterating on, on the things that you have developed. Can you share uh, Barbara and Francisco the best uh, HR hack? Yeah. <laughs> Well, you want to go first? <laughs> so I once did a full performance management system for around 700 people on Google, on Google sites with forms and Google Sheets and all of that because we had like 100 euros to spend on a performance management system. So I think that was a, a big hack. Um, it then kind of backfired because we had on the day of everyone delivering their performance appraisals, we just had to like sleep the office because it all kept breaking so a hack does imply that there will be a few <laughs> mishaps along the way but it's also uh again you know if you don't have the resources you just you just kind of do it the way that you can so for me that the big big uh trick of this is to make it as simple as possible on the user side so that people don't get bored with using very complicated um, tools. And the second is that it doesn't give you any error in your analyticals. So as long as that is done, it's like the people team can unite, <laughs> have a pizza night and sleep at the office as long as the, whatever is the outcome works. Thanks. Barbara, any secret? Uh, yeah, sorry. 
actually, um, when Francisca was mentioning the, the performance appraisal uh, situation, we had a, a similar one and we are almost 200 people here in Portugal. So you can imagine how to work with a low budget for this, for the first time we were doing it and we were scaling a lot from the, from the past two years. So it was a huge challenge to, to do it. Uh, we used a uh, not so interesting platform to do it, so you can imagine all the problems and issues and um, work hours that we had to add to, to solve this problem. So I think everybody can relate with the first stages of performance appraisal. It's a huge process and everybody wants to do the 360 stuff and things like this. So it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a challenging, yeah. Okay, thanks. Um, Randy, would you like to add something to this conversation? I, no, you've done a great job. And uh, I was just going to tell our live audience, I mean, this is, this is what happens when you put really smart people in a room together and you just listen and learn from shared experiences. So it's great. I would like to get a little bit of insight from you, Katerina, on, you know, you, you've done a great job of, of moderating, but from your perspective, what, what, are, what, are the one, what are the one or two big things that you would want to share with the live audience that you ask the panelists that you yourself might want to answer? Well, um, first of all, I think the company should think globally in terms of recruitment. And uh, in 2018, with market this competitive, there are uh, three very important things. First, uh, think globally. Don't limit yourself to a country or to a single talent pool. Always be ready to expand your horizons. Um, second, um, showcase your culture because people are, it's what people are looking for at the end of the day. It's not uh, so much the benefits, well, a little benefits, but most of the culture and the way you work and what do you believe in when you come to work day to day. And uh, the third thing is, try to make it work without you being in the office. When it comes to automation, I think that's critical nowadays and uh, HR specialist should be uh, a big optimizer. He should at least choose a handful of things that are taking a lot of time and say, okay, I can automate A, B, C, D, F and focus on the most important things that are impossible to delegate to the machine. Well, in that case, uh, nutshell, it is. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks, and we appreciate our live audience um, for, for watching this, this first episode of Scale Up Heroes. A special thanks to all of our panelists, and especially you, Katrina, uh, Katarina, for moderating. If you enjoyed today's episode of Scale Up Heroes, we want to offer you a free 30-day trial. Simply go to the website, scaleupacademy.io, and we hope that you'll sign up today. Uh, feel free to share today's show and tell us who you would like to see. You can just post those in the comments here at Facebook of uh, future guests that you might would like to see and leave us a comment here. I'm your host, Randy Cantrell, and I hope you'll join us next week. Today, you've obviously heard the brain power uh, of scaling talent, and next week, we hope to bring you a, a conversation about scaling product. Thanks, ladies. We appreciate the conversation. Thank you.